and welcome to the Dice of Screaming podcast. Ha ha ha! Yeah. We return. We do. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And welcome to the literary two-headed Edna Gaming Podcasts. Oh, far from it. Far what? from it. <laughs> we're, the, we're the plucky little gaming podcast that got busted by the city guard for frolicking in the town fountain. Oh, uh, <laughs> sans clothes or with clothes? Uh, you know, I'm afraid it's off to Horny Bard Jail for uh, us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's us. We, we often don't know what we're doing. Hey, thanks a lot, uh, folks, for putting up with our longer episode last week. Doing pretty well. Glad everybody enjoyed the Battletech universe. And as promised, we're going to get back to uh, Jason and Joe with Collins. We're going to have them in here and uh, go right to that momentarily. But before we get started, we want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in and giving us some feedback. James Brown again, uh, mentioning that maybe we should do um, a D&D villains and heroes from the old school days, like uh, Abmi, Vecna, Kass. Um, oh, wow. The the great archetype uh, characters. Of yeah, great from, you, some of them from the... Uh, uh, rogues gallery which we have here so we have the old rogues gallery and uh, maybe we should dust that off so yeah that's a uh, one we'll be adding to the hat so thanks everybody for your contributions and helping us put some episodes you'd like to hear about and again uh we always like to say this at the end but we're going to do it right at the front here because we got a heck of a show with the uh, crown fall or excuse me uh, adventure pathfinder adventure path war of the crown get that out here for you so we're gonna go right yeah it's now. no peach we're talking like it's a it's a six module combo so I mean, yeah we are gonna put the hustle on we're gonna be hustling we're gonna uh give it an overview and a what for so uh, hopefully you enjoy that but uh i guess we gotta get some business out of the way uh hey what's gonna be for our next podcast coming up here oh well you you ask me to divine the future yes with the powers of the Gelloscopper. that's correct then you must laugh i must uh, well, with a heavy heart, I will go. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! All oh, the Gelloscopper sees a bright and cheerful future for us. So you can you can lift that heavy heart, buddy. Oh, all right. The Giant series G one through three. Oh, yeah. We're we're returning to the discussion of the original super module, uh, which you know, I I admit. This has been spread out over a very lengthy period of time, but we return to the original super module, the concept that started it all. Uh, and this installment will be G1 through G3, the Giants series against yeah. the Giants. Annihilate the Giants, the hill, the frost, and the fire. <laughs> Put them all to the sword, spare none. They had it coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that. That'll be a great episode. So uh, yeah. back to some classic gaming with some new here so all right well we're gonna get on to it but first we have some call-ins that we postponed from last episode and that was about our rutger hauer power hour and so with our rutger hauer power hour already well in the vaults uh, you can go listen to that and uh if you already have then you know that uh jason and joe i knew it would lure out jason when we talked about <laughs> man that cat man he knows everything but he is wired in Love yeah, him. and as we mentioned, uh, James also said that he was a little upset, not upset, but disappointed that we didn't mention Split Second. And we did talk about that. So, But we, guess what? You got a kindred spirit in our man, Jay. 
Yep. So we're going to take it away with uh, Jason and then Joe, and then we'll be right back. So stick around. Hey guys, Jason here. Great episode on Rucker Hauer. Yep, he was a great one. Split Second definitely is in my top movies, without a doubt. In fact, I showed it to some friends who'd never seen it not too long ago, and they really enjoyed it. The The ending, obviously, isn't great. They, they could have... The very ending is great, where they're in the airship, or the... Or the uh, what do you call it? Anywhere, they're on the river. But the actual climax part of the ending definitely... Could have been done better, but whatever. Great movie. Um, Rucker Hauer is also one of the actors who has the distinction of playing both Dracula and Von Helsing, although neither of the movies where he played Dracula or Von Helsing are very well received. But either way, great episode. Looking forward to what you guys do next. Take care. What's up, boys? I, I have to say I am incredibly sad I, I didn't know that Rutger Hauer passed away. Or maybe if I did know, I had completely blanked it out of my mind. So thank you for this episode. Rutger Howard is a boss. Lady Hawk is one of my favorite movies. Like, yeah, man. Uh, and I do want to say that you guys are like the Medusa's Garden of Podcasts because you guys are hard as hell. Peace out. All right. Hey, uh, thanks, uh, Joe. Yeah, we are kind of, uh, I, well, I, it's kind of inappropriate to say in this podcast. Is, no, what the heck? We are hard. I, <laughs> no, we're hardcore. Oh. Hardcore. Not horny bar jail hard. Okay. Oh. Uh, just hardcore. Yeah. We got edges, bro. Yeah. And uh, also, like, thanks to G. Oh. We're so edgy. We're like Zochi dice. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks, Joe, for uh, for that, and uh, Jason as well uh, for reminding us that yeah, Rutger Hauer had the dubious distinction of having played both Dracula and Von Helsing, and although you like say weren't well received, it is noteworthy. And uh, yeah, Joe, uh, sorry to pass along bad news that Rutger Hauer is no longer with us. I mean, hey, it kind of passed my notice until I started looking into it. I'm like, oh man, that cat passed away. It's so, uh, so sad. Yeah, 2019 was a chaotic year for me, so. You know, like I let that slip through and we weren't paying attention. And then the next thing we knew, we were like, oh man, there's no more Rutger Hauer. Oh, we have to do this. Yeah, so we hope that uh, when we do our Appendix N movie night, we'll be doing uh, a nice trilogy. We'll be alluding back to Rutger Hauer again. So, yeah, we've got a fantasy movie night coming up. It, it's not like it's not Gelascopped yet. Okay, it's not. It's in the future. It's in the distant future. This not this can only be gazed through a crystal ball, and off in the misty distance somewhere, there is a movie night coming. Uh, but we wanted to take a little break after our holiday festivities and uh, our Rutger Hauer Power Hour. Really, you know, of course, focused on film and television. So uh, we're we're giving the movie nights a little break, but they will come back. And when they do, it's going to be Fantasy Movie Night Two, Electric Boogaloo. We're going to have fun with that. All right. So we're going to have to get into this if we're going to get this done today. And, man, nothing is going to stop us. Okay. Going for broke. Uh, main attraction is uh, our return back to the Pathfinder. And this is a Pathfinder first edition adventure path. It was right near the tail end. It was the War of the Crown adventure path. And it was a six-episode installment. Quite a meaty offering and also very heady. 
I, and by heady, we honestly mean that it was intoxicating. Okay, just uh, honestly, this as Pathfinder first edition uh, was drawn to its close. Man, what a swan song. Okay, I mean, they, they put out a lot of good products over the years. But this six-module set is one of the best adventure paths I think they ever produced uh, in terms of complexity and finding that perfect balance uh, between action and espionage and thinking. You know, thinking and brawling. I, you need it all in this adventure. Uh, these are not... Uh, lightweight, simplistic, uh, you know, like mono-focused. Every single one of them has that essence of combining a wide variety of expected skills from players. Uh, you will need all of your various tricks, skills, and abilities to prosper in these modules instead of merely surviving them. So, yeah, uh, there's a reason we picked it, because it's one of their freaking best ever. Well, yeah, I think that they also, they did a slew right there at the end. Uh, uh, Return to the Rune Lord, Return of the Rune Lords. Uh, I have yet to play through yet, but I have read it. And I also think uh, Giant Slayer was quite an, a big one. Haha. See what they did there. And <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, you're right. The Pathfinder in this one, it combined very diverse elements that for politically themed adventure path. The fall of the king of the Talden Empire. The emperor has passed and basically he's assassinated. Oh yeah, quite publicly. And, you know, it sets up a whole series of events where you end up supporting the heir who is sort of on the outs because only male heirs can necessarily be named in succession for the throne, the lion throne of Talden. Yeah, this, this module, let's like launch right into the beginning in the quickest synopsis I can give. Uh, you begin as minor adventurers who are in the employee of a less relevant noble who has political aspirations favoring uh, Prince Princess Eutropia. Yes. And Eutropia, being female, normally would not be able to inherit the throne. Uh, of the empire. However, there are no male heirs, and yeah, the previous the her brother, who was to be the heir, um, ended up dying in a horse riding accident. So she has kind of been advocating ever so subtly to uh, put a bid in for the throne should her father pass away, and he is increasingly with the burdens of rulership plus the decline of the Talden Empire and uh, his own personal problems and tragedies the death of his son and his weight on him heavily and he is not born the year as well now, still uh, rather young youngish in terms of kings now no uh, aging daughter but yeah we're not talking about a century old dude here you know but yeah he's, he's, he's still in his uh mid 40s and doing fairly well but mentally his faculties are rather diminished and he rules rather through advocates and courtiers and you enter in and there's a public ex well i couldn't say public execution but there's a rather violent uh assassination of him right in a full along with a large portion of the taldorian senate who were all gathered after a vote that was supposed to repeal the 
rule of primogeniture where like only a male heir yeah, and they had just lawfully said hey we can make an exception to that because uh you know we may need to very shortly uh, and lo and behold as soon as that exception gets made the attack comes that very night uh, as all of the assembled persons are in banquet mode and like relatively lightly armed and armored and the attackers wreak havoc but unbeknownst to the player characters, the badges they were given uh, to, you know, identify them as being the servants of a particular house and having appropriate business inside this important event, magically activate and pop them to safety deep below. And that safety is highly questionable. Because yeah, now it, you're in the ancient basement. Yeah, and what a, what a flip. Here you are, you've got your characters completely ready for a night of political intrigue and hobnobbing with the powers that be and now suddenly you're in a dungeon yeah you start off politically hobnobbing and it's a very social seeming encounter there's no violence in the very beginning of this you have minor tasks and errands to split up amongst the party and your success in these social situations or uh little subtle games of politics uh those are your little victories and then everything shifts gears with the attack and the players find themselves dungeoneering deep below the castle. Yep, uh, and vaults, uh, and they have to find their way out. There is no easy way out. There's no, like, the exit this way. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are potential allies to be found. Uh, trips, or tricks, traps, decrepit uh, environment issues. And, of course, spooky, creepy creatures that have been lingering. But there are also uh, a couple of artifacts lurking down below that in the fine tradition of Pathfinder mature with the increasing yeah, power the, the of the scaling player. items that's become quite popular these days. I hear all the kids are using I like I rather like scaling items because that, that works pretty well. Yeah, you wind up with a masterwork crossbow called Dignity's Barb that features like significantly later on as its powers enhance and increase with the level oh, of the Yeah, character. this would be a good time to mention there's gonna be spoilers. So Oh yeah, we're giving it away. <laughs> We owe to speed, we will not be able to cover every last single detail of every single module. But uh, be wary. Yeah, throughout six of the, there, since you're probably presumably going to have about six characters, there are six items scattered throughout the entire series that level up and are very important. They're heirs to the Taldor Empire in previous incarnations. Um, and, you know, the the first entry is probably the one that you can um, savor over the details. It's kind of quick. But there's a lot going on. And in the second one, you end up fully vested as agents of Queen Eutropia as he makes her bid during a full-fledged Talden Civil War to become the reigning monarch in lieu of her father. And the next one, Songbird, Scion, and Saboteur, which uh, Tinker Taylor told me. (laughs) Songbird, Scion, Saboteur. Uh, A little homage to Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Uh, But the gist of it is that the minor noble for whom they were working is a clear ally of Princess Eutropia, uh, soon, hopefully, to be Empress Eutropia. And the Lothig family, uh, of which your patron is a member, has need of your services yet again. Uh, if you would care to launch on this one. Oh, well, this one is pretty much 
a micro a trip in a microcosm into a quaint country manor that you have to reacquire from a rival family that has a long-standing feud with Eutropia and her father, Count Lothied, as a matter of fact, and uh, he has been placed in front of the in the care of the nobles uh, or the uh, Prince Stravans, the Crown Prince Stravans uh, estates, and Eutropia's father uh, has bequeathed us to. The Lothi family, so he can maintain a summer palace in the in the in the climatable south, and um, here it is that uh, you have to reacquire this from them, and the machinations that are played out take several adventures, and this is where the politicking really begins, along with a lot of fighting, and this is where it gets pretty clever in how they use uh, keep it from just being a bunch of I didn't know there was going to be this much talking. How about some hacking? You know, if somebody like, hey, if I wanted to have an urban barbarian, a, a roustabout uh, bully boy from the back uh, docks and uh, streets of Talden, can find himself very out of place in court. But this urban barbarian um, now finds a lot of use in fighting things like there's a manticore and there's a uh, legendary dire wolf running around or ward that can speak and there's all these things to do as well as politic and scheme and work together yeah your chief opponents may in fact be the rival family that had taken control of that region uh, and getting that that town and its environs back into the possession of your patroness uh, is the principal goal but there's a lot of meaty side missions to go yeah there's a nice little dungeon in one of the the towns that uh oof, into a crypt with a nasty nasty cool yeah very unpleasant there uh i i want to highlight a couple of things from songbird scion saboteur that were particularly of interest um uh, in short form as quickly as i can oh yeah assuming control of that town uh, is a little thorp, really. Yeah, it's it's just a tiny village, and it places the player characters uh, in the position of restorers, uh, of both of order and eventually one hopes of prosperity, depending on the decision making uh, that they exercise during that. They're also the providers of justice and are presented with certain obligations, decisions they will have to make to administer this place even though it's small, but it's a nice simple start where you know, like, not all things can be solved by hacking. But thank goodness to let off the stress from all this hard work, there are some things, things out that there that you need to hack. Yeah, and this one sets up, like I said, it's the microcosm of what uh, Taldor is. This one sets it up because you have to uh, gain the favor and trust of other nobles by not only just doing well in that small little thorp and building it back to its former presence, and restoring the manor house there. But then also politicking with the other nobles, gaining their trust and support so they can force Lothied, Count Lothied out of the manor, the ancestral home, and gain a Eutropia, a full base of operations. Fully safety, fully safe with support of nobles friendly and allied to her. And that requires a lot of work and not all that work is just handshaking and hobnobbing. It's a lot of footwork, yeah, problem solving and monster slaying and also questing and then here are several there's cleverly written in a kind of uh sub quest if you want to put it in there that where you can not only just bring this village back to life but you can restore it to a major 
trade hub that it used to be. Yeah, there are opportunities presented to the player characters that should they exercise discretion, uh, make some sacrifices, uh, take some time to make investment in, that as the campaign furthers, they will have transformed this little, you know, pathetic uh, remnant uh, into a valuable trade hub that not only brings, you know, wealth, but also influence and courtly favor as people around that region become very impressed with uh, your players' uh, connections and abilities. You're like, wow, these are problem solvers. These are people who get it done. Uh, so that, it is arguably, uh, I, I would suggest that in the first module, obviously the players would be between first and third level, working their way up slowly. Uh, and then in Songbird Science Saboteur, they would be between fourth and sixth. Uh, again, you know, one would think about sixth by the end of it. Uh, and that moves us to the next installment. Yes, and this one starts to take, uh, the next one will take the players uh, a lot of time in the campaign. It took us almost uh, 12 sessions to play through one a single episode on uh, the second part of the adventure path. Now this one, the Reaper's right hand was a little bit more straightforward because it starts out with a shock that as you've been working for the Lion Throne, it's now been revealed that it's an act of treachery, the High Strategos Pytherius' agents, which is one of the uh, competitors for the Lion Throne, has declared the entire Stavian family line to be illegitimate, finding some obscure arcana in the past that separates them. And now uh, full civil war is in the offing as both various nobles take sides now. And then to do this, they have to go to the first emperor's tomb and prove Eutropia's right to rule. Yeah, basically misinformation is, uh, and disinformation is a major portion of Tal'Dorian politics uh, that cannot be helped. It is simply like a, a fact of the situation where so many competing agencies are trying to get a leg up and acquire first place and build enough alliances to acquire the uh, emperor's throne, to assume the lion throne of Taldor. Uh, so many are doing it that unethical means abound. So this is one where the characters have to go back to the source. They have to get the incontrovertible proof that the Stavian line is in fact authentic and has a right, and that Princess Eutropia is indeed entitled to be. Yep, and this provides a little bit of plane hopping, going to the plane of access, which is the old Nirvana from first edition, second edition. Uh, the plane of law, where Modrons and uh, the others Inevitables, as they're called now, reside. And so there's a lot going on there, and it's definitely one where this takes a epic quest and transforms it, almost in an Arthurian-like, where you have to go back to the first kings and beseech them for their blessings. And again, there are many twists and turns in this one, and the passages and choices that the characters take throughout this arc will change and shape the scope of not only how the adventure unfolds in the future, but also their burgeoning queen. If they become cruel and hard-hearted, so does she, because she sees the uh, use in ruthless efficiency. But if they become fair-minded and 
equitable and as well as merciful at times, then so does she, because she sees the value of building alliances, sparing people punishments. And just because you are a lawful ruler doesn't mean you have to rule with cruelty and absolutism. And I would love to clarify for a moment that uh, in this module, the, the Reaper's right hand, the appropriate level is more like 10th to 13th. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the other one, I, I guess they would have been more like 1 to 4 and then 5 to 9. And, and oh, this one, hey, well, oh, well, well, we've got a little ahead of ourselves. Oh, we're ahead of it. Yeah. Ah, I'm sorry. We I was we're misremembering, but yeah, there's a couple more. The, uh, we'll just go right back. Uh, the third one is the Twilight Child. Yeah, the Which, fourth installment is the Reaper's right hand. The third is the Twilight Child. Right, we got that out of hand just looking through it. And this uh, one, uh, you have to go to a trade city, you know, Yanmas, and everything's just going to pot there. And it's right on the border with the neighboring nation of Kadira, where relations have never been really good. And there's a lot of tensions. And once again, the players are thrust into the uh, role of peacemakers and dealmakers with, on the behest of their uh, assumed uh, regent, the uh, Princess Eutropia. And this one takes us uh, right into the fall, uh, the next one, the Reaper's right hand. But this one is a little bit more of a straightforward. It's a little combination of wilderness adventure, which will break things up. Yeah, it, it, more outdoor time in this one than in the previous modules. Uh, so in the third one, which indeed was like on the approach to 10th to 13th, uh, you know, really, I, I guess more like ninth through 12th level is ideal for the Twilight Child. Uh, Yanmus has a stack of problems. Now, if the player characters manage to thoughtfully unravel each of the problems confronting Yanmus, they will obviously, you know, on behalf of their patroness, gain favor for Eutropia's claim. I mean, if Eutropia's problem solvers go forth and make things better. Uh, it's a win for her and a win for the players. So aside from the joy of outdoor adventuring, which uh, in our playthrough, man. Yeah, a lot of the characters were not totally prepared for that because they had basically been city folk, which we'd been dodging assassin's knives and like crawling into, you know, like forgotten tombs and uh, you know, well, Shank and a ghoul, which was, uh, oh, yeah, that, that, was, that was not like, this was not one of your little lightweight ghouls. Okay. This was like Uber ghoul. Um, so level uh, of blackguard and all that. Yeah. We, we had a tough time of it in other things, but we had not really done a lot of outdoor travel. Like yeah, there was a little bit of in the countryside around, uh, Lo the uh, province of Lothi, but yeah, there not was... much. And this one, boy, does that change that. You you get in some serious Yeah, you're not scrapes. far from an inn in that one. This one, you're on your own for quite a bit. No, but also the the mysterious and unethical methods uh, by which Janmos is being plagued. Yeah, the high strategos uh, Pyrathius is a thorn in the side of the players and is starting to become apparent to most of the players at this point that that is the major villain that they're going to be facing. But uh, and that brings you to the Reapers' right yeah, hand. So, but we're going to take a quick break so we can collect our senses and get ourselves righted out. Ooh, good thing we spotted that one. I was like, wait a minute, didn't we have another? One? Yeah, I was wondering, you know, what happened to Yanmus? I, I had the oddest feeling that we had slipped up somewhere. That's my bad. I had the stack out of order. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're going to recollect ourselves and come back at you with. Uh, the conclusion of this and 
So stick around. All right, and we're back. So, hey, we got our head screwed on straight. So, yeah, we were uh, so far in uh, one of them out, way out. Yeah, Reaper's right hand was like a module yeah. five. I was going to say, yeah, there was a lot of plane hopping involved in that one when we ran up. I told so, hasty clarification, it's Crownfall that is like kind of levels one through uh, three. three. And then the song, Songbird Scion Saboteur that is really like levels four through six. Seven, I would say. Definitely uh, in the Twilight Child. Yeah, you know, or, it's a lot fuzzier on the end of that one because that was a tough, meaty... Oh, there's so much to do. It took, like, us, like I said, 12 sessions. And then the, the Twilight Child. Which you find that uh, Prince Stravan, uh, the younger brother of uh, Princess Eutropia, is alive. Yeah. <laughs> He's held in a strange cult in the middle of Yanmas of led by a group of devious divs and divs of the most ill ilk from the uh pantheon hindu pantheon divs that originally come like with as long as with uh, we're talking about like divas and other things the divs are the darkest elements of our psyche and they are the inhabitants of the nightmare realm uh, yeah, so they're using him, and now you present a conundrum. The prince lives, the heir apparent is alive, but he recalls nothing of his past nor the time. Was he resurrected? And apparently that was tried many times, and it was unable to be done by the uh, emperor himself. He couldn't, even his highest level clerics could not uh, bring the child back. And it was thought to be some type of mystery, which of course crushed uh, the emperor. Because even it seemed the gods abandoned him. Yeah, I, which the discovery of uh, the living heir throws the entire plan uh, that your characters have been dealing with since the very first module into chaos. Because now, obviously, uh, you have a living male heir that is potentially compromised and from a mysterious source slash origin how why you know are they safe you know are they mentally coherent can they be entrusted uh, but princess utropia finds herself with you know quite the conundrum how that's dealt with again you know it does have a fascinating uh, relationship that the player characters have with the titular would-be head of Taldor. Uh, what Randy mentioned earlier is entirely true. The, the hardening or softening of Eutropia's stance as a leader hinges greatly on the encouragement slash decision-making processes of the player characters. It's interactional, not just dictated, uh, which I have to give a huge hats off to the Pathfinder team developing this because it's it's a rare module. Uh, the player's decisions almost always determine some of the outcomes. Exactly. Uh, but to have this interactional relationship uh, between the players and like very, very significant NPCs, it, it's not simply dictated by rote. It is influenced both subtly and not subtly uh, by the stances the player characters make. The accumulation of their actions could change the entire outcome 
and the entire resolution of this series, and there are multiple ways in which it might resolve. Yep, and then we uh, start with City in the Lion's Eye, and finally it's time, as the War for the Crown escalates, General Pythorius, as we mentioned before, is Eutropia's chief rival to the throne, is now plunging, plotting to plunge the nation where with an ill-timed war with Kadira to legitimize his claim. And if you heard this before, you can stop me here. But you have to travel to the fortress city of Dismar and infiltrate it unseen. Because by now, you are well. the players should be well known to the agents of Py- Pytharius. And they have to use their disguises. It and will so be that one is, and guiles. Yeah. So this one starts about 10th level. And uh, you also get a chance to start joining the prestigious Lion Blades, which are... The protectors of Taldor, the, the highest level knights. If you like the old first edition Cavalier, you'll be right in your uh, sweet spot with this one. Yeah, but and, and also enemies. I, like, can you like? I'm, I'm go go spoiler go, go. moment. Spoiler moment. Yeah. Rakshasa Ninja. Yeah. Just yeah. throwing it out there. I'm I'm giving that one to you for free. We we don't want to give the total reveal, but you're facing you know Pytharius's. Uh, base of operations and his intelligence network, uh, which are extremely competent, uh, dangerous, and magically adept, as well as stealth oriented. And wait, and a lot of rickshasas. Oh yeah, and he's made a lot of deals. And oh, this one comes early bite him in the. Oh boy, I never thought that uh, deal with the rickshasas would come to bite me in the ass, literally. <laughs> oh man. Oh, oh yeah, they're not they're not gonna let him just off on this one, just like, oh yeah, we'll help you get a kingdom and yeah, we'll be your friends. Nope, they've got their own agenda and per usual. Oh. Yeah, they're gonna let him get in charge and power, and then that's the last of them that you'll ever see. We are altering the deal. Now, uh one of the wonders of this is that the player characters are effectively intervening to prevent a major military conflict from erupting at the you know, opportunistic order of uh, this competitor for the throne of Taldor. And should they succeed, uh, one, they prevent warfare from dragging Taldor uh, into like literally abject border chaos uh, and, you know, <laughs> they also, once again, remove one of the most significant rivals that uh, Princess Eutropia faces on the march to the throne. That moves us to the one which we erroneously mentioned earlier, the Reaper's right hand. Yeah, and this is the one where the Arthurian thing comes in. It seems like a personal, pretty straightforward, let's go to the Tomb of the First King and see what's happened. And you find out that his soul still resides on the upper plains. He's went to his great reward and is now an inevitable. Now, for some of the, uh, some for some viewers just tuning into this edition, you might remember back in first edition, uh, the Plane of Nirvana, which was named in uh, second edition to Axis, which is the Plane of Absolute Law, Lawful Neutral Destinations, um, and full of Modrons and Inevitables. Uh, it turns out that the first uh, king, or first emperor of Talden, uh, Taldaris himself, is now an Inevitable in the city and working on his own agendas for the higher powers. Nonetheless, um, players are going to have to go there 
and once again reestablish themselves on a different plane. So now you're just not operating on the prime material plane, you're operating on a plane of pure and absolute law where obedience to not only form and dictum are required, but absolutely uh, you, you uh, find yourself unable to do certain acts or break the rules. You have to make saving throws because the alignment of the plane is so harsh because you are at its very source. Yeah, you're you're actually at the the point from which all true neutralness flows. Um, <laughs> yeah, true lawfulness. Oh, sorry, true law. Absolutely. Uh, you know, this is not the place that chaotic characters will feel cheery and at home. Uh, <laughs> the chaotic good or the chaotic evil will be particularly upset by this okay. place. Uh, but it's not, how, how would I put this? Not physically hostile. Like, uh, it's not like going to the elemental plane of fire. Oh, you're like, not going to oh, get burned, but I'm you might fire, find I'm yourself fire, uh, having to make uh, change alignments inexorably against your will. There are some things that you can't do, and obviously uh, the planar mechanics uh, uh, interplanar adventuring is pretty prominent here, but you're not here to smash things, although you will end up fighting quite a few things. <laughs> but uh, they have a great mechanic where you debate your opponents in a symposium while the uh, inevitables watch and judge your actions, weighing the merits of each argument in turn. And they're super judgy. <laughs> what do you expect? But, yeah, plain law. But the way the mechanic is, is rather than just a bunch of diplomacy rolls or letting players uh, bloviate for, you know, minutes on end, there is an actual mechanic in here of social combat, which comes from Ultimate Intrigue that I thought was very, they scaled it down a little bit here, but if you have Ultimate, which I did, I had Ultimate Access to Ultimate Intrigue. Uh, if you're able to be familiar with that one, the full rules here of Rung to Bear really sweeten this out. And it's almost, it's using your diplomacy skill to attack or a bluff skill to attack your opponent's argument or to sidetrack them sense motive to deflect somebody's and anticipate their next use of a social skill be it intimidate diplomacy just like you were fighting a combat and trying to wear down the worth of your opponent's arguments and points yeah that much like you know you're you're whittling away their armor and hit points yeah until one of you stands the victor uh, and this mechanic is present through all the modules, but it's in the fifth module that it really comes into its fullest effect. It's here that it is absolutely essential to the accomplishment of your goals. There is no other way around that. There will be combat. There are opponents that you will face uh, that cannot be dealt with by sheerest negotiation. Uh, but in this one, diplomacy is the real day winner because you must acquire uh, your ultimate goal, which is uh, legitimate proof of the Stavian line's legitimacy. Uh, and therefore, of course, Princess Eutropia's actual ascension, you know, or worthiness or fitness to wear yep, the crown. Getting the final blessing of the inevitable that is, was once the great emperor, Taldaris himself, or themselves. Now that's it, incontrovertible. You know, like to the yeah, he finally people, brings it to full bear giving you the artifact an artifact of the house and now that's behind us the players will undoubtedly be finally we're able to finish this is the end game we're going back to the prime material plane to our patron and you find her dead 
that's right. Conspiracy has laid her low and you're yeah. just in time to see her funeral. And you're like, well, crap. <laughs> exactly. That was a lot of work. <laughs> like literally, uh, this is a Game of Thrones level uh, moment of disappointment. You know, like, ah, we've got the perfect leader. You know, we've, we've carefully uh, built up their reputation. Um, you know, we've we've helped to make them a better and more ethical leader. And we're doing the right thing, putting the right person in the right place to make Taldor a uh, healthy nation uh, and usher in a new era of prosperity. And we're all feeling really good about how much we've accomplished. And thunk, welcome to the sixth installment. And your dreams and hopes are suddenly cruelly dashed. <laughs> and of course, as we mentioned before, the Prince um, Stavian is now being heralded as the new heir. Yeah. And it, whom you then recovered. you players at this point, they become aware of a player, almost a fifth column element that has always been present in Talgor's politics, even from the start. The Immaculate Circle, and headed by a lich. Yeah. If you couldn't have figured that one out, uh, yeah, kudos to you. But hey, yeah, headed by a lich and other sinister beings, they have long manipulated events. And yes, the young prince, when he was killed, was no accident. His soul was trapped and then retransferred, and now reborn conveniently for them to use. With Eutropia now disposed of another way, uh, now it's time for the end game to start fully as the players will take out their anger and wrath righteously on this Immaculate Circle, which takes a considerable amount. But by this time, the players are 13th, 14th level. They're able to bring some power to bear. And we did not get to play this out fully, but I was fully in anticipation of Mike's cleric being able to fully invoke all the leverage of his patron deity, who would become very vexed at this um, rediversion of the laws of life and death, because that's what they're doing. They're actually subverting one of the primal laws of the of the gods. Yeah, which, I mean, you can trust uh, a evil cabal led by a lich to not really care about conventional rules. Uh, but in my case, I was playing a cleric of Abadar. Which is a lawful deity. Yeah, very lawful and totally about like money and exchange and you know, the the appropriate uh, place of trade in society. Like so, an equitable trade versus like uh, Brian from Family Guy's version when he became a real estate agent. If you haven't seen that episode, you have to go look it up. <laughs> yeah, totally the amoral person that Brian became. Oh, very. Uh, just went, you know, D-bag with... <laughs> Yeah, like this. He went from zero to D-bag in like no seconds. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. 0.5 seconds. <laughs> straight to... Yeah. Now, the six legend soul, uh, you have to unravel all of the opponents that have manipulated events to place their little uh, Manchurian candidate upon the throne. To unravel all of their schemes diminish their council members one by one. And of course, the ultimate fight. Yeah, you're, you're stomping a lich. Yep, Can you but before that, you that? find a way to resurrect Eutropia's soul, which is held in a trap the soul crucible by the lich. But you find a way to circumvent that and restore her back to life. And then with yeah. her and all her allies gained, and then the full truth exposed, the Immaculate Circle wasn't just going for manipulative power. This was their end game from uh, 
centuries of manipulation, they were going to turn Talden into their own personal shadow realm of horror and undead. Yeah, and it, that is how awful what was facing Taldor was. Uh, it was literally the end game, and you just happened to be there at the time period at which all of that unfolded. You know, you the plot had been undertaken long before any of the characters were born, but had finally come to its moment of fruition, and the political chaos that Talden facing, faced was entirely brought about by the Immaculate Circle. They had moved all of the pieces into place all along, and the players were effectively inconsequential uh, in the beginning of these modules. Uh, they, they were such minor players that they were beneath notice. As they became relevant players, they were still not powerful enough to change the course of events per se. Uh, and it was only at the end when that, that major card has been played by the Immaculate Circle then the players become prominently aware that they have a major conspiracy by exceedingly powerful opponents on their hands and that the fate of Taldor is truly horrific if they do not intervene and stop it cold. Uh, but yes, a happy ending is possible. You can True. get the, and the, the air back uh, and restore the throne of Taldor and give it a enlightened era of prosperity if you did it well but how you did this and how your characters did this will change the entire nature of the empress herself as she ascends to the throne uh, they indeed the characters are emperor makers or empress in this case and every action they take who they kill who they uh make deal allies with and who they show compassion towards as well as are just practical will change her because she has several facets if you are just bloodily efficient she will become known as Eutropia the bloody while she remains committed to the ideals of protecting and empowering the common Talden citizens she has learned certain advancements come through the swift and merciless application of force or at <laughs> least the fear of such force and that is the legacy that the players could leave if they're a bunch of murdering callous bastards who do things with absolute efficiency. Yeah, if they assassinate their way to goals uh, rather than through negotiation, uh, that is one of the outcomes. Like, yeah. if you elected, like, well, look, I know we have somebody who can do the diplomacy and bluff thing, but we just don't like that guy. I just kill him. I, I, I have the rogue creep in his room at night and put something special in his morning breakfast. Uh, no. There are consequences for that that go beyond merely getting caught. They, they, it's not about like, ooh, you had to flee from the guards or you have a bad reputation. No, you actually affected the outcome uh, by shaping the personality of the upcoming ruler. Yeah, because she watches uh, the actions of the player characters and that's how she learns to rule. Uh, the other ones are the practical, which is the builder, which I, which was pretty much where we were headed, learning from the sound compromises. Yeah, one of the throne trophy realizes a brighter future requires sacrifice in the present. And yeah, it's pretty much a, a fairly practical lookout. Sometimes you do have to assassinate a few people and sometimes you have to uh, show <laughs> compassion. But in a, in a Machiavellian sense, uh, you know, much in, in keeping with the uh, readings of the prince. She is a builder. She is an empire builder and she uses her abilities to make Talon a better empire and stronger. Now the other ones are the kind, which is very hard to get if you have any characters of 
Okay, uh, the, everybody's going to have to get real cool real fast with how the rogue got through this adventure. <laughs> so if you have one of those characters, it's going to be really hard to get those, but it's not impossible. I, yeah. The compassionate. To to achieve an end like that is extremely admirable, and I would love to like hear of people actually succeeding in pulling that off. Uh, but it would require an exceptionally heroic band of characters who always pick the most generous, most reasonable, most kind-hearted way to go about things. They, like, smite evil when they encounter it. Uh, but only but, when required. You know, they don't fall back on violence for anything less than the truly evil. <laughs> Paladin, like, I don't condone the use of violence in justifying my actions, but... With the, the divs, I'll make an exception. Oh, yeah. The, the divs <laughs> did not require a big exception. There. That, that's an easy one. Uh, but, yeah, not killing the, the prince early on, yeah, when he's uh, revealed. That's an option you have. You know, if the little prince shows up and, like, you've killed him, it changes the entire scope of the adventure. But rather than making that a stopping point and say, you can't do it, they let you do it. And they say, okay, if you killed the prince when you first found him in his newborn form or newly reincarnated or, excuse me, uh, <clears throat> resurrected form, then, yeah, kudos to you. You you solved a big problem. This isn't going to be a big thing, but uh, it will have consequences. It so. does not mean that the Immaculate Circle doesn't have a fallback plan. A simulacrum. Yeah, they now, will find a way because, uh, you know, they're not going to be stymied so easily by no, but, a collection of beginners. But it, it in the end, it won't really make that much of a distance. But, yeah, having a simulacrum versus a real person is a completely different one. So that's an intriguing thing. And the other thing is... is if anyone knows history, um, the Constantinople Guard were a bunch of Vikings for a number of years with the Byzantine Empire. Uh, the, the because they stayed bought. Right. They were hard. And throughout this, has been keeping the throne room clear of anybody who comes near it, are a bunch of uh, Vikings from the uh, uh, land of the Lenorm kings. And uh, they are not... They have not been letting anybody in until they see a full, true ruler. Yeah, the Ulfen Guard will not permit someone to ascend to the Lion Throne. So, uh, searching for uh, yeah, they will not permit someone to merely ascend and claim the Lion Throne. I'm like, oh, well, they're just a bunch of uh, crazy Vikings, right? Uh, not uh, so much. <laughs> Some of them are werebears. They're just going <laughs> to leave it at that. So that was a kind of cool homage to the actual historical things. And also, I'll go right back to the first adventure. One of the most enduring characters I've ever seen, NPCs created for, is a halfling assassin. Oh, that pain in the butt. I know who you're talking about, yep. too. Wiskilia the Fantabulous. Yeah, and Wisilka. Wisilka the Fantabulous. Fantabulous. Yep. And uh, pretty much, if you like Harlequin... This is uh, Harley Quinn from Batman. Yeah, you'll you'll have fun with this. Of course, she's a lot more sinister. Evil halfling jester. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. yeah it, it's every bit as awful as it sounds uh, because it is a terrific opportunity for the DM to engage in every type of effery uh, with the players. And since Wasilka has a role to play further down the road, uh, her involvement is usually more in the, like, yeah. Uh, you know, pop in, bring some chaos, and then pop back out and get out of the way uh, so that she can show back up later 
and continue to be a pain in the butt. In this case, the players will probably end up killing her at the end of the adventure, which is pretty much assumed. But if not, she'll bedevil them for a while until probably rung the ground and, and done away with. But she yeah. has uh, she comes back in the last part for, although very sad. Uh, She's yeah. a sad clown. With Silka the failed. Uh, after yeah, having they... failed to stop the players uh, at other points, uh, her reputation and such have been terribly diminished. Yeah. But she, she does come back nonetheless. And, you know, the one thing that we've been keeping our eye on... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, uh, I feel... no. Uh, oh, and oh. suddenly, oh. the arcane eye has turned its inscrutable gaze back upon you. And now forces you to look at independent and small projects from around the interwebs for gaming and nerdery and other such things. So, what has the arcane eye revealed unto us this day? why it could be none other than the mythic tabletop yeah mythic table okay this <laughs> ah, quite the curio tell us of the mythic table well the mythic table and a lot of things for people going forward in this time of quarantine and uncertainty a lot of people have turned to Virtual. Online gaming and virtual gaming. And there's various platforms that already exist. And this is a, yet another one. But this is an open source, non-profit virtual tabletop that will has no fees up front or other than the upfront one. And allows an open source so you can build your own modules and customize it to your needs. Now, this is a Kickstarter. It's been closed and well-funded before the Arcane Eye got around to showing and revealing this to us. But nonetheless... It's free of charge. No sir features will be locked behind paywalls. And you can use it for a variety of game systems and even make your own systems, importing your own maps and allowing you to customize your interface for whatever game you have. Yeah, super approve. Yeah, and so if you're looking for a new way to play virtually online without having to completely relearn and unlearn everything that you've known before, Mythic Tabletop seems to be the way to go, and it gives us our highest recommendation. You can still look them up on Kickstarter. Uh, there is a opt-in still open for it if you want to throw in some money for support. But it's soon to be out. Um, right now they're saying it's oh, June, but they push back the expectations. As always what happens with Kickstarters. There's always some unseen stuff going on. Well, sure, in the, the process of you know, completing the work and having it be yeah, as they're saying as it can it, be. It, it, there's some pushback, but nothing uh, definite yet. But uh, if you're looking for a way to get your game on online, if you just do even things like Discord and uh, other, well, there's Virtual Tabletop and uh, D20. Oh, yeah, there are other tools out there, but uh, this is going to make a fine addition to the concept. Right. Now, so, I abjure thee. Oh, oh. oh so yes, yeah, so arcane the eye. duration Jure of the Arcane Eye has reached its end and so releases you back to the normal realm of your reality or is it <laughs> oh uh, safely back in the the, the world of reality uh, i do want to make a couple of closing notes about our playthrough of war for the crown just before we wrap it up for the day uh it was one notable distinct difference between our particular run through and others uh you as the dm Me? had introduced a concept that was present as a theoretical plausibility in Pathfinder, uh, and you knew how social and how, you know, uh, intrigue-oriented this campaign would be. You included the dynamic of 
the uh, character who had a secret identity as a sort of semi-superhero. Uh, the, the vigilante. Red, yeah, character. the vigilante type uh, was included in our campaign. And so we had the concurrent uh, plots, all of the material that we are familiar with from the modules, uh, but we also had the concurrent plot of the vigilante's quest uh, for justice and revenge, the Red Raven. Oh, uh, so that was an enormous fun additive. I, I have to recommend. With his faithful manservant and stately manner. <clears throat> and his, his real superpower. I have a ridiculous amount of money. So, <laughs> uh, you know, as well, he I, I would us. like to say, I, what's your superpower? I'm rich. Yeah. Really rich. Like, really, like, really rich. Crazy, crazy money rich. <laughs> so, uh, but as he raised levels, he gained more access to funds. Uh, and of course, the legendary type items that he was working with expanded in strength to match his increasing level, much like the. Yep, the and uh, everything was tied. So if you notice that with Soka, the Fantabulous being somewhat like the Joker, yeah, the Batman Joker was played throughout this one. Yeah, we we, we did some little homages during uh, the campaign. Of course, <laughs> if Batman was a psychotic murderer, but, you know. Well, sure, you know, the Red Raven was a little less of the, you know, like, there are lines I won't cross. No, no, Red Raven was all about crossing. They're negotiable, they're negotiable. <laughs> Lines? What lines? There are no lines in the shadows. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're just blurry edges. Yeah. Where is she? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a great time was had by all. It was one of the most enjoyable adventure paths I have ever played through in the entire time I have played Pathfinder. Uh, hats off. Hats off to the superb creatives that built this six-module set. Right, and a lot of people give... And a hat off to the DM who did a pretty darn good job. Oh, I think. And a lot of people give some uh, flack to Adventure Pass for being railroading, but this one did not seem like it at all. So that's the highest praise anybody can give to it. All right. But that's going to do it for us. So without further ado, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>